I titled my message today, Overflowing in Prayer as Jesus Taught His Disciples. And so this year, Pastor Danny has been leading us in to the vision of overflow and discipleship. And this uh, message is a little bit of both because learning to pray and praying consistently is a staple of being a disciple and being a Christian, being a follower of God. And constancy in prayer, earnestness in prayer will definitely lead to overflow in your life. So, and we'll, as David uh, preached to us last week, thanks again, David, um, God is looking for people of prayer in the world. And it is those who prayer, pray, who are people of prayer and earnest in prayer, they have power and grace from God to live for him and to see his good things in the world, his good will accomplished. And we'll see more of why that is through the scriptures that I'll, I'll uh, teach from today. So I'm uh, to pray to close, uh, pray to open, and then I will get into it. Father God, I thank you for your great and precious promises. I thank you so much that we, as your children, as your royal priesthood, we can come and pray. We can come and worship you. And we can come boldly into the holy place because you have made us holy. You have set us free from all sin. You have set us free from all of our mistakes. And you have given us your righteousness. You have given us the Holy Spirit. So I pray that as we look into your word in how you taught your disciples to pray, that we would humble ourselves to your teaching, um, myself included. May we hear your word and may we let it abide in us. May we let it lead us each and every moment and each and every day. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Uh, amen. Um, so what is prayer? Prayer is, and I, I got this definition as I was working this week, prayer is a dialogue between God and people, especially between him and his covenant partners. So dialogue. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is a conversation with God. So, and that is prayer at its most basic. We talk to God, and I encourage you, also listen when you're praying before, during, after. Maybe God will start the conversation when you're at work. Maybe God will start the conversation when you're worshiping. Um, yeah, just, just a small note. I'm not going into that too much, but just prayer is a conversation. What I am focusing on today is that how prayer is um, also bringing requests to God and bringing our, our needs to him and uh, our, our desires even to him in prayer. And I'll get into this a lot more. God is our Father. God is our Lord. And we have the privilege and the honor to be able to pray and to be able to constantly ask him for uh, what we need. Um, and so, kind of why prayer... So, 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, you are holy priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the, good, the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And Revelation 1, 5-6 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over king, the kings of the earth, 
to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if you've noticed kind of the, the, the thing I'm pointing out in each of those verses is that we are priests as God's people. We are his royal priesthood. That is what he makes us as we trust him in, as, he, as we believe in Jesus and choose to follow him. We become his chosen people, and his chosen people today, we are all part of his priesthood. And so now, priest, even when I, I don't really use the word very much, so when I, I say it, I'm kind of a little weird about it, but I'm just going to go into it, like what it means. So mostly today, people use the word priest um, to refer to Anglican or Catholic pastors or like ministers, but they started to word, use this word from the Bible. And the Bible says that we are all priests to God. And so what a priest is, there, there is a lot to it, but one of the basics is that they are someone who represents God for the people. So like in Israel in the desert, God said, this tribe will be set apart and holy. They will be my priests to help all of Israel relate to me. Um, so priests represent gods to others. They're kind of like an ambassador, almost, or, or secretary. You know, you don't call up a CEO direct, you, directly. You have to go through their, their uh, secretary and make an appointment and this and that. Um, uh, and like all people can pray. God does hear all people. But as, as his holy priesthood, we, even, we have a special privilege of being um, set apart for this ministry, even more so than anyone else. So we are priests, and Jesus is our high priest. And this is why a huge part of prayer is offering and bringing petitions to God to ask him to work in the world on behalf of his people. So prayer, at its most basic, is a conversation with God. And as his people, we have the privilege of coming to him with our requests and petitions. And now I'm going to turn to the main passage I'm teaching from today, which is Luke 11, 1 to 13. And I read, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of the, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if, you, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? 
Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's from Luke 11. Here Jesus is asked by his disciples to teach them to pray. He gives them first what we often call the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he teaches them through two parables and uh, essentially another teaching on prayer. So the parable of the man coming at midnight and then the parable of the good father or of, of children, of fathers. I guess maybe it's more of an illustration, the illustration of good fathers giving good things, right? So I'm going to go through this whole passage and I'm going to spend the most time on the first part, which is this is how you should pray. So Jesus teaches us what even to say when we pray. So the first word Jesus says, this is how you should pray. When you pray, say, Father. And this word, essentially it shows us our rela- that we come to God as his children and that we have a close and intimate relationship with him. And this is such an amazing thing. 1 John 3.1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. So the writer here in John, his name is John, oddly enough. Yeah, so he's, he's exclaiming, See how much our Father loves us. He calls us his children. And so we are God's children. It says he calls us his children, and that is what we are. God adopts us. He makes us his children. And this, this shows God's great love for us. And let me explain this just a little bit. So before you're a Christian, if you just, you know, are born and you don't hear anything about accepting Christ, you don't hear anything about the word, you are living in your sin and you are in your sinful nature and you can't please God. So your sins, so like lying, cheating, uh, any kind of immorality um, in any part of your life, it's what is natural for you. And God is holy, and he is morally perfect. He is apart from sin. Anything that is not aligned with who God is, is sin. God is perfectly good. So before... We are in, when we are in our sin, the Bible says that we are even enemies of God because God in his holiness must oppose sin. He, he is consistent in his character. We tend to change and stuff, but God is the same, and he always opposes sin. So that's why when we are sinners, we are even enemies of God. So, but God makes us his children. So God um, uh, comes and he makes, us, makes a way for us to be his children. So Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God because of our sin, because of what we choose to do against him, God still comes. Jesus comes. He gives up his life freely for us. And then afterwards, he's like, accept my love. Accept what I've done for you. Repent of your sins and believe in me. And when we do that, God makes us his children. So that's the first thing that shows why God calling us his children is such great love. And the other part is God is 
Well, God. God is um, above all things. He is immortal. He is invisible. He is alone, the person who is wise. He is all-powerful. He knows all things. And this is, this is God, uh, someone who in our human nature we could never fully comprehend. And he's so much higher than us. His ways are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so his yeah, his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And he says, be my child. He makes this happen. He offers this freely. So when we say Father when we pray, Jesus says, when you pray, say Father. So when we're saying Father, we're believing, we're uh, remembering his great love for us. Jesus starts, and, and one thing I notice is Jesus in this passage, he starts with this by saying, Father, but he closes with this too, with his final parable. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? So this is, a, it kind of bookends everything about prayer, this relationship we have with him, that he is our Father and that his great love for us is true, and it's how uh, we come to him with uh, such boldness and persistence and uh, one thing about the word Father I find in, in my own prayers and just over the course of time, you can kind of lose the sense of what it means because it is all that. Um, but we kind of just, oh, it's just what we say. It's just a little title. It, you just kind of say it and you don't really know what it means. I think this is part of the reason why um, there's several verses in the Bible that have this phrase where people pray, Abba, Father. And it's only a couple times. But this is just... And let me explain why this is. So I'll show you the verses, and then I'll explain. Mark 14, 36 says this, and this is Jesus praying as he is, he knows that he's going to give his life and he's going to suffer for us, so he's praying to his father. He says, Abba, Father. So in his desperation, he's calling to God his father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will but what you will be done. And it's not only Jesus who can call God this. Romans 8, 15 says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So just like I was saying, God makes us his children, and because of that, we, like Jesus, call out to God as our Father, as Abba, Father. And so like Abba... Um, if you're not familiar, basically, it's essentially an untranslated word that means father. Uh, it's like an informal word for fa father. So if they translated it, it would say father, father, which would be a little weird. So that's why they keep it. Um, and it's untranslated in the original language as well. Because this word, word is essentially an informal term for one's father from Aramaic, um, which is a language. Jesus likely spoke several languages, like Greek and Hebrew, but the common language of his land and of his time was Aramaic. Possibly it was the first language he learned. I, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about uh, that culture to know, but I know it was the common language at the time. But in any case, this word, is, so it's an informal word for father, so it's like dad, right? You call your father dad, or maybe really little children call their father daddy. I know I've never really done that, but there's, there's lots of, you know, words like that in English, you know, papa, pa, daddy, dad, um, that are kind of like this. 
I know uh, it is interesting with this word Abba. I know that it's still in use today because one time I was, I was on a trip in Israel and I was coming back to Canada on the, on the flight and I just remember, you know, the plane was full of people, you know, babies crying and all the usual stuff. And there was a young, young kid, maybe he was six or seven, with his father. And I noticed, like they were speaking in Hebrew or, or Arabic or whatever, and I noticed that he would refer to his father as, as Abba. So it's just, it's like dad. Like when you, like for me, dad is the word I always call my, my dad, right? And what it is, it's just a term for like getting their attention. And it's something that you would never call anyone else, right? And it's something that you wouldn't really, like if you wrote a letter to the government, you'd be like, oh, my daddy gave me this. You'd say, no, my, my father, uh, so-and-so, he gave me this as a gift, this and that. That's why I can own this car for one dollar, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so th- that's, that's what it is. So that's what I'm going to these, these uh, verses, is when you see these verses, I think, just remember that this relationship we have with God, we are his little children. We call him uh, Father, and that shows who he is to us. That reminds him, and it reminds us who he is to us. And this reminds me of Matthew 18, 1 to 4, which is teaching about a similar, um, uh, essentially, principle. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as the little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we see in this teaching, when it comes to faith and prayer, we come to God as little children. And we must come to God as little children. Whoever, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So in prayer, when we come to God, we come to him as children. And this is the amazing relationship that he has with us and that we grow in as we grow in Christ and as we grow in our faith as Christians. Okay, now for the second uh, word. We're beyond the first word. Luke eleven two. May your name be kept holy. Or more commonly, hallowed be your name. Um, and so the NLT just this translates that kind of older kind of language into, into easier to understand. So hallowed be would be, it does mean to be, make it holy, make it hallowed. Um, and holy, if you don't know, it means set apart, free from sin. It means morally perfect and complete in every way. So God alone is perfectly holy. He is holy, 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 as the angels uh, repeat in, in worship in heaven. Um, So, when we're asking for God's name to be made holy, we're asking for God's reputation and his honor to be made holy. We're saying that he alone is unique and that there's no one like him and that there is no one better or more holy than he is. And so, uh, if you follow, so like in our language today, if you say someone made a name for themselves, that means they, I don't know, 
they got rich, they got famous, they, they did some things that were notable throughout the community. And so whenever you hear their name, so let's say it's a musician, so like Johnny Cash, Justin Bieber, Brian Dirksen, you, you hear that name and immediately you know who that person is and you immediately you have that even guttural sense of who they are because, you know, you've heard about them, you've maybe listened to their music even and, and this and that. So that's, that's what, that's at its basic, um, at least at its basic what we mean when we're saying God's name, right? When we say, may your name be holy. So with this prayer, what I often do, um, I know it when, in the church I grew up in, we prayed the whole Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, every service, so I know it, I know it really well. So when I'm praying by myself, I often think about the prayer and the phrases and I, I say them, and then I usually expand on them, right? So with Father, I'd be like, I'd be praising him for his love for me. I'd just be remembering that, right? And then for this phrase, I often interpret it as, uh, as an opportunity to praise him. Because making God's name holy is, will happen through praise. Like, with that reputation thing, you know, you hear people talk about Johnny Cash, and you know, he has this reputation of being like this big music industry, like country music was formed by him, this and that. And so you hear this from people, but like God, if we praise him, if we say who God is, you know, God is good. God loves us. Um, God healed me. God um, saved my life. All of these things make God's name holy make it set apart. So when people hear God's name, you know, Jesus, Lord, uh, Father, uh, Yahweh, when they hear his name, they will know who he is, right? And that, so when we're asking for his name to be kept holy, we're asking for his fame to go abroad, and we're asking for his praise to increase so that people will, will, uh, will know. And, um, on a little bit of a side note, often as Christians, we end prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, which is from John, um, which is mostly from the Gospel of John and First John. So I'm just going to talk on this briefly here. John 14, 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this phrase is a little bit different, right? So, hallowed be your name is one thing, but to ask for someone, uh, something in someone's name is essentially to ask for it according to their good reputation, according to their character, right? And so, and for their, uh, I, I guess, glory, right? So, this is, in this teaching, um, Jesus is very far from giving us magic words in prayer. There, there is no magic here. It's not like you can say anything, ask for anything, and you say, in Jesus' name, it will happen. What Jesus is teaching here is that when you're asking for, for things for my glory and everything, I will do them, right? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son, so that God may be glorified through how Jesus works through us and in us. And just furthermore, in John 15, 7, it also teaches about this. If you abide in me, it says, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Jesus says here that even we ask for what we desire, and it will be done for us. But again, 
he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So abide means to stay with or to remain. So abiding in, in Jesus is essentially saying that we have a closer relationship with him. We stay at his house all the time kind of thing. If you, stay at, if you visit your friend's house a lot and talk to them all the time, you're going to be better friends. So we abide in Jesus at all times. And he says, if my words abide in you, um, which is also his commands, his words in scripture, if they are dwelling in us, if like they're part of us and we follow them and align ourselves with them, that is what his words abiding in us is. So again, before, we even, before he even says, you will ask what you desire, he says, your desires will be changed because you're abiding in him and because his word is abiding in you. So at this point, our, our desires are already aligned with him, and when we ask what he desires, he grants it. So back to Luke 11. Uh, we're still in verse 2. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this next phrase, um, what does it mean? What does it mean to say, may your kingdom come? Essentially, it means we're asking for God's authority and rulership to come over us. We're submitting ourselves to his rulership and we're, we're asking it for it to come in our community, in our nation, in the world. And why? And, and this rulership is an amazingly good thing. So there have, many, there have been many earthly kings and rulers throughout the ages. And what I see, a good ruler, a good leader, a good president, a good this or that, what their goal is, is to make life for everyone in the kingdom safe, to make life for everyone in the kingdom better, more prosperous, and, and everything. So there's, there have been good rulers, and there have been really bad ones, right? But God is the perfect ruler. God is the perfect king. God is love, and his rule will bring good things to those who to have it. Um, his reign is when everything will be made new, ultimately. Revelation 21, 3 to 5 says this. And this is uh, the final part of the Bible, and it's talking about what will, um, how it will end. After the judgment, after the resurrection, God will recreate the earth, and as it says here. And it says, it's declaring what will happen. Uh, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So this is the hope that we pray for. No more pain, no more death, no more sickness. And this is what Christ ultimately died for so that we can actually enter in to this fullness of God's kingdom. But as we also know, this is, it's coming, but it's already here. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was alive, his message was this. The kingdom of God has come. Repent of your sins and believe this good news and believe the gospel. 
that you can enter, uh, you can enter into God's kingdom through Jesus' love, through knowing Jesus. So right now, in our lives, we are to pray so that we may have God's kingdom in our lives. And God's kingdom is a kingdom that overflows with forgiveness and with joy and with peace and with righteousness, with right living. Um, and I take that phrase out of Romans 14, which says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for God's good kingdom to come and for his will to be done. So when I'm praying these things, I am also, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, for the goodness, the good things of God's rule to come, you know, prosperity for healing, for, uh, you know, good living. But I also, first, I know that for that all to happen, we have to submit ourselves to our king, right? We have to obey uh, God's rulership. So, and I'm like, Okay, if I'm asking this for my community, if I'm asking this for my nation, then, well, I have to, if I'm asking this, at least I have to be on board. So when I'm praying this, I'm always like, Lord, I do commit myself to you. I deny myself. I pick up my cross to follow you, Jesus, because I know you have the words of life. So when we pray that, this is one of the things God, Jesus teaches us to ask for, for his kingdom to come. Now we're on to verse 3, which says, Give us each day the food we need. Or more commonly, give us today our daily bread. So NLT here, um, it translates bread as food, just because kind of in context, Jesus is saying all food. Um, and, that's, and why that is, is because in that time and in that land, bread was the staple food. So to say, let's eat our daily bread, they ate bread every day, so their daily food is uh, it. And uh, another thing about this which is interesting is that, as far as I know, in that land and in that time, if you had something to eat, enough to eat and drink each day, you would survive because the climate is, it's hot, so I guess you'd have to stay out of the sun as well and stay away from wild animals, but... <laughs> If you had something to eat every day, you would survive. So at, at its basic, this is the, the bare minimum of what they need to survive is what Jesus is saying for them to ask for. And so we depend on God. Um, and, and I say bare minimum, but the one thing about it is God is good. You know, how much more will God give good things to those who ask him, right? And good things, often it's good to have a lot of something, right? God does overflow us when we commit to him. God does overflow us when we daily ask for our needs. And this overflow is for his kingdom to come, and this overflow is for our, our joy even in this life. Yeah, I just caveat that. We're, we pray for our needs, but God does overflow us as we do that. Basically, what, what the, the principle is, is we're not focusing on our needs. Uh, and this is what James uh, 4, 2 to 3 says. And I'm going to skip to the end of verse 2. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Or you ask amiss, as it says in other versions. You want 
only what will give you pleasure. So the people that James is writing to here, they sometimes don't even pray. They don't even ask God for what they want and need. And when they do, they only want what they're asking for so that they can fulfill their sinful pleasures, so they can fulfill their lustful pleasures, so they can only provide for themselves and maybe their really small group of people that they like. So when we pray, we ask for what we need. And when we pray, our motive is to be provided. And our motive, as the, the, the phrases before show, our motive is for God's kingdom to come. Our motive is for God's will to be done. Um, there's a verse in Timothy that I always remember, and it says, uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For you brought nothing into this world, and surely you can take nothing out of it. So the only thing that will last is godliness. The only thing that will last is um, the works that God has us walk into uh, after the, the good works that we walk into after we accept him and after we become Christian. Those are the things that will last. Okay, verse 4. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So there's two things I want to say about this um, petition. Basically, it's like when we remember communion together when we say this. When, when we do communion, we remember Jesus has died for us. Jesus has risen again. Um, and he's made this new covenant where our sins are forgiven. And because God so readily and freely gives us forgiveness, we also must readily forgive others or else we're hypocrites or else we're kind of two-faced people who don't really understand even what we've been given, really. Um, so when we pray, uh, we ask for forgiveness as God forgives us. And the second part about this is that, as, as from the last phrase, this is kind of like a daily prayer. And God says that we, we are to constantly come to him, forgive us as we forgive others. So what this gets at is that when we do fail or sin, even after we've come to Christ, that's not the end. That's far from the end. God is still offering his forgiveness. God is still offering his grace to live free from that. And this is what uh, 1 John uh, 1, 8-9 also teaches. It says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So God is freely offering us forgiveness. God is freely offering us his grace. This is not an excuse to live um, carnally. This is not an excuse to uh, sin because, you know, oh, tomorrow morning God's grace is new, so, you know, I can have fun tonight and then I'll be okay tomorrow. The Bible has other passages and other teachings that condemn that. So, like, the one that comes to mind um, is, uh, God is not mocked. What you sow, you will also reap. Right? But for daily sin, for our failings, for those times when we might fail in temptation, that is what this is for. And that's the, that leads in right to the next, uh, the last phrase, which is, don't let us yield to temptation or lead us not into temptation as it's a little bit more closely 
rendered, and deliver us from the evil one. So here and then, uh, Jesus asks for his provision and grace to overcome temptation, trials, and attacks. And this is like the teaching in Hebrews 4, uh, 14 to 16, which says, We have a great high priest. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, you know, our propensities uh, to maybe sin or to fail or not obey. For he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this passage shows that we, when we pray, we have the blessing to come boldly into God's presence. And that's a huge part of what we do together at church. Um, during the worship, um, during the prayer, during when, we're, uh, when someone is teaching from the Word, what we are doing together is we're coming to God. And this is where we corporately, we can do this individually or in our families or in our small groups at, at any, small, other groups at any time. But here, we weekly come boldly to God's throne. We offer our prayers. We offer our praise. We offer our commitment. We worship him together. So just uh, take the most of this time. Come and pray with his people here. It's such an honor and privilege to do. And so this boldness that we, we have access to, this uh, freedom that we have uh, that Hebrews talks about, is really close, is, is part of the message of the next parable. And so this parable is this man, he needs bread, so he goes to his friend at midnight, in the middle of the night, and he says, give me, give me bread. And his friend is like, I'm sleeping and my family's asleep. And no, I won't. But this guy, he doesn't stop. First he comes, and then he doesn't stop. He keeps knocking, and Jesus says, Therefore, uh, this man, though, though he won't get up because of friendship, he will get up because of this man's shameless persistence. Therefore, I say, keep on asking, and you will receive. For everyone who asks will receive what they ask for. Everyone who seeks will find. So, uh... Just one or two notes to kind of understand this story. Food wasn't so as readily available then. They didn't have fridges or anything. Um, But anyhow, it was very different. It's the middle of the night. They were all sleeping in their house, which was one room. So this guy has great audacity to come and knock. And so with that audacity and persistence, that that is what God is uh, bringing us to. And... uh, I guess, yeah. And so the next parable, uh, the next teaching or illustration, God's like, parents know how to give good things to their children. Therefore, God, will, who is perfect, whereas earthly parents are not, will give so much better things than to, him who ask, to them who ask him, right? And here in Luke, it says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those Who ask him. And so this shows that the Holy Spirit is God's greatest gift to us. And he and through us, him filling us with the Holy Spirit, 
all of these things are fulfilled. And uh, just to read from the end of my passage in Acts 4, uh, I was going to go, this, the church prays together in this passage, and they ask uh, together for the Lord to uh, give them boldness in preaching, and they ask for the Lord to stretch out his hand with healing power, and that miraculous signs and wonders may be done through his name. And what happens is they are filled again with the Spirit. It says, the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they preached with great boldness. So this teaching shows us, uh, this passage in Acts shows us how God continually fulfills his promise in Luke 11, that he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, and that the Holy Spirit is um, everything we need to live this life um, for God. But he does it when we continually pray. He does it when we seek his kingdom. So to close, I just want to give um, everyone who may not have had a chance and opportunity to pray to accept Jesus, to pray to repent of their sins. And so how we do this here, I just want, let everyone, will repeat phrase by phrase after me. Let's all repeat together so that anyone who may not have done this before will feel, uh, be able to blend in and not feel signaled out when they're doing it. Um, so what, what this is, is I've said a little bit about how Jesus has saved us. So to be saved, to become his child, we repent of our sins and we believe what Jesus has done. Jesus has died for us. Jesus has risen again so that we might have forgiveness and so that we might have life and so that God as our Heavenly Father may give us the Holy Spirit. Um, so please repeat phrase by phrase with me as we pray. Um, uh, Father in heaven, I believe in you. I accept what you've done for me. I believe in Jesus Christ, who died for me, who rose again for me, who ascended to heaven for me, to forgive my sins and to give me your greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. I accept you. I accept you as my Lord. I repent of my sins, and I turn to you forever. Amen. Amen.